Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, sponsored by Flying Penguin Graphics, audio production by Kieran Nemont. And here's your host, Curtis Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Want to Be a Producer, the podcast for emerging producers and creatives wanting to know how it all begins and how to get where they're going. My name is Curtis Brown, and I am your host, and I am joined, of course, by the audio engineer of the podcast, Kieran Nemont. Kieran? Hello, sir. How are you? Fantastic. And yourself? I'm very good. Um, Today was a unique episode because we recorded, I was recording at 5 a.m., you were recording at 12 p.m., and and our guest was recording at... No, no, you were recording at 2 p.m. Our guest was recording. Yeah. yeah. And our guest was at 12 p.m. because he was in London. Kieran's in South Africa and I'm in Vancouver. So it was this crazy, crazy, like time, time weird podcast. But it was great. It actually (laughs) turned out to be this really great episode. So I needed to say a few things, which was uh, make sure you check the show notes for all our guest socials, including our own socials as well. Um, We're getting a bit better at our our socials, uh, uh, posting on our socials, which is really good, uh, something that we wanted to do for season two. Um, And also just to make note that uh, the Zoom I basically forgot to record in GarageBand for <laughs> half of this thing. Human and error, so for, man. Yeah, human error. So um, Radio Play, uh, my, my audio actually drops during Radio Play. Our guest stays the same. But um, yeah, basically, it, the, the, the difference in audio is clearly very obvious. Obviously, we will not have this happen again because Kieran whipped me with a bunch of wet spaghetti. Unacceptable. Um, but, Unacceptable, yeah, it, it is unacceptable, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, anyway, but yeah, there are new questions in Radio Play too, which I thought some of them are really great, uh, and uh, our guests really enjoyed them, I think, too. Uh, as well, oh, and also there's some hammering on his audio, like very little, you can barely hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I then, about that. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm ba- yeah, and, and I have a dog that starts barking at near the end of the episode, too. Uh, we get a lot of great insight on how a director views producing and the similarities in the terms of process as well as models about breaking even in terms of finances and technology in online musicals and the importance of new writing and champion, championing new writing as a producer. So it's actually a really fun episode, so I actually want to get to it right away. So Kieran, take us away. Our guest today is a London, England-based director, producer, dramaturg, and musical theater specialist. He studied medicine at Cambridge University before seeing Company in Merrily We Roll Along, where he then decided to transition to musical theater full-time. Since then, he has directed numerous shows on the West End and Off West End. A select few are The Rink, The Storm, 35mm, Whisper House, and the 20th anniversary production of Songs of a New World, which starred Cynthia Revo, Jenna Russell, Damien Humbley, and Dean John Wilson. As a producer, he founded his own company, which I can't tell you the name of yet because it'll ruin the whole intro, but what I can tell you is that he is the founder of Signal and Signal Online, which is a concert series that gives writers the opportunity to present new material in a safe but special environment. Furthermore, Signal also functions as a musical theater literary and development department. He has developed to full productions Wasted, Superhero, The Sorrows of Satan, Lock and Key, and The Leftovers, which were all world premieres. He is currently joining forces with Aria Entertainment to commission a new musical from writers who are based in the United Kingdom. As a dramaturg, he is currently working on Fangirls, which is a musical television series by Evie Blake in development with Clerkenwell Films. He has a podcast called Discord, which has been downloaded over 15,000 times, was in the Stage 100s, which is a list recognizing theater makers for their extraordinary achievements in 2020, and likes shows that are mature and not for children, so don't take them to see Matilda. Welcome to the I Want to Be a Producer podcast, Adam Lenson.
Hi there. Thanks for having me. Of course. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've been listening and I've been following you this this last while, but uh, we have this saying in hockey that when your coach tells tells you, uh, gives you a speech before the game, it makes you run through a wall. And that's you when you talk about music theater. <laughs> literally, I was I, I sit in my bed and I listen to you speak and I'm literally like, man, I'm like ready to run a 5K right now. This guy is, this guy knows <laughs> what he's doing in music theater. I swear, this guy is it. So seriously, oh, thanks, thank man. You. Are you, it's funny, when I used to do Signal, uh, well, when we were doing Signal in person and I would like speak between songs, people used to say that it was like a mixture of motivational speaker and like evangelical <laughs> uh, like mixed with mixed with musical theatre. And that is, I guess, I am very passionate about it. So. Yeah, no, that's a great thing. That's what we want on this podcast. So you start in medicine and end up transitioning into theatre where you're assistant directing on West End, on the West End and with plays and musicals to garner those skills. So... So how exactly did you get into producing? Um, I mean, for me, pro- producing wasn't something I ever really thought I would do. I, I, I'm a director, I think, is my first study. Uh, I, I suppose by that virtue, a, a theatre maker, because I, I worked a lot with writers um, on new work. And I, and I guess I got to a point, it was probably about five years ago now, Well, actually, about five, six years ago, I got to a point where I realized I was going to define as a musical theater specialist, whatever that meant. I was only going to do musicals and I miss plays. Um, I miss other things, but but that was about five or six years ago. And then about three years ago was when I finally said that I was a producer. And I think it just came for the fact is I wanted to start making my own opportunities for both me, but also for for the amazing writers that I encountered and knew. And I, I didn't want to have to keep waiting for other people to see the virtue in those ideas or I didn't want to have to keep knocking on the doors of, of sort of gatekeepers who uh, to ask for permission because I think I'm sure we'll talk about this in 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 more detail but musical theatre I think in the UK is 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 systemically underappreciated uh and especially new work and I and and I and I felt like trying to make new musicals within the existing system was much more tiring than making <laughs> making uh and collaborating with people to make a new system so that that's kind of I'm I'm 3 years into the, an attempt at a new system and it's not always feeling like it's working but that's the intention Right. Well, the work that you are doing, I mean, you're now with Aria, like things are moving along for you then, eh? Yeah, well, I think in the end, what what we watch a lot of the times is the passion of an individual that, that is sort of not finding a place to uh, to, to divert that passion and then mm-hmm. figuring out what to do with it. Um, and I think that's all I felt. I mean, yeah, I think the collaborating with Katie and, and others has been such a brilliant turn of events because I, you know, I started out wanting to really progress a certain line of thinking, a certain level of care and respect for musicals. And, I wanted to have that conversation with people. And when I found that people didn't necessarily want to have that conversation with me, I just sort of did my own thing. And I, I suppose the last two, three years, as exciting as it's been, it has sometimes felt a little lonely still mm. because it's been a kind of like me plowing my own furrow kind of on my own and with and with lots of writers for company, don't get me wrong, but I think one of the great benefits of this last year has been other producers and other venues 
sort of seeing the virtue and getting in touch. And it, it feels like the project has sort of, is beginning to, people are beginning to see the value in it and beginning to see me as a collaborator, which is all I ever really wanted. <laughs> all I right. ever really wanted in the first place was to be someone who who could be part of teams developing new musicals. But I, I sort of felt like I really had to go off on my own for a couple of years in order to come back again. So I'm glad that seems to be happening. That's it. I mean, if, if, if someone's not welcoming you at their table, you build your own table, right? And you sit down and you pull up as many chairs and you welcome, as you say, there's these gatekeepers in, in the theater industry. I don't know why it is this way. It is like this all over the world apparently in New York and Canada but I mean I'm I mean you you you're reaching you you are reaching a worldwide uh worldwide audience now with Signal Online so when you're first starting off so how are you finding financing for your productions like what was that journey like I mean I I would say that I like exist within a really achievably small scale mm-hmm. um I always say to people that like I don't, but if I did have a hundred thousand pounds, I'd spend it on like a hundred things, um, rather than <laughs> one big thing. So, so I think that actually everything I've been doing is like a, a bunch of tiny, a lot of tiny things right. rather than one big thing. So I think in terms of, I mean, look, in terms of, in terms of the honesty of honest situation in terms of financing is a lot of it has been work that I am doing, um, for no money. Um, right. But essentially it is cost neutral, but it certainly doesn't make me any money. Right. Um, and, but, you know, supplemented with other work and directing work and, and, and teaching work, I've, I've kind of felt that that's the investment I want to put in. But I mean, when I started, how do I put this in order? When I, I started Signal, so Signal was my first attempt. I, I had speak, been speaking to a friend and they had said, well, if you believe in certain writers, you could put together a list of the writers that you care about in a way that other organizations maybe wouldn't be able to. Like you could begin curating lists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was sort of went into my brain. And also in my brain was the fact that like we didn't have, we didn't seem to have those sorts of, I would watch loads of YouTube videos of, of 54 Below and Joe's Pub and... Um, New, new musical theater concert nights in from America and we didn't seem to have them so I remember thinking what would it take to make an actually cool you know I know the word cool is 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 up to interpretation but like what would it take to make an an actually cool night of new musical theater new uh there was also a curation of of voices who I thought were good as well mm-hmm. um and because it was a concert it was um the system was we did it at London's H Club, which is sadly the uh, the, the pandemic has has ended. But um, they gave me a small budget, essentially to pay for videography and for the band, mm-hmm. and um, tickets were free because essentially they would sell lots of drinks when they did it. And um, <laughs> I asked the writers and the performers to give their time um, because the, in my head, the idea was that it was a small amount of time that each writer was, was giving, um, but that in return, they got five camera videos and a band and a full house and that it was accessible and it was free. So, so in the end, the business model of it was everyone giving a little to communally get a lot. So in, in mm-hmm. some ways it worked in a kind of cooperative 
way. And and I was very transparent about that. Obviously, I wished I'd had a budget to be able to say, here's a commission fee for the writers, here's. But I remember saying to myself, in my head, everyone had to only put in two, to, each writer had to put in two to four hours of their time. Um, I would put in about four days of my time for each concert. And out of it, we would get a full room, a lot of buzz, these five camera videos and these multi-track audio recordings that to this day, every performance from Signal ever is online. So, and lots of them have led to lots of things, people watching them and getting in touch and, and, and commissions and other ideas. And that was what I wanted. I wanted this kind of like archive of incredibly high quality material. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if I've answered the question, but essentially models is is how kind of collaborative models is how I try and make my impact, which is everyone doing a small amount and then it collectively making a much bigger thing. And hopefully I don't think anyone who's ever done Signal will, will ever say uh, that they felt that what they got out of it was less than what they put into it. Uh, obviously, from a financial standpoint, it potentially was, but from a kind of everything else standpoint, um I, I know how many things it's led to. Um, and um, and then going forward into productions, I've always been very careful to keep the level of things I actually make to to things that can essentially break even at, at box office. Right, right. Which is why all of the things I do are like two, three, four-handers, which is not to say I don't aspire to bigger things, but I will need to do them with other people or get some sort of huge well, cash yeah. injection. Well, that's the thing. It, exactly it. You need the cash injection, right? It, it's really, really hard to convince people to come on board and 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 believe in your vision, you know what I mean. And the great thing about you is that your your passion is just so is you have such great and lush passion, and it's and you it oozes, and it's so great for an investor to see that. And actually, my next question was: as a producer, it's a lot of banging on doors, shouting, "Here we are!" And that's a merrily we roll along reference for you <laughs> and for all you MT buffs who are listening to this. But I also said it because I know after you saw Company, you saw that at the Fringe, and it was a big moment for you. And for me, I personally love that show, and one of my dreams is to put that on film, even though. Richard Lankleider is doing it, but that's fine. That doesn't mean I can't not do that. But anyway, my next question for you, I guess, was that, you know, how do you get people to care and how do you get people to invest? But I guess it's, it's your passion, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the vision. It's, it's kind of bringing a group of people together and going, Hey, listen, if we all sacrifice a little bit, it lifts up everyone and we gain a lot. Well, yeah, for, for me, it was about, it is, continues to be about systemic change, change for what people perceive the musical to be the type of shows that can be musicals, the type of writers that can write them. And, and I, I will say, and I, you know, the things that I now say will potentially come across as, um, just different to, to, to other producers, but the two, the two things I really spend very little time on, which potentially to my detriment, I'll be completely honest, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about audiences and I don't spend a lot of time at this stage, um, thinking about other other producers or venues, and again, that I, that might well have been to my detriment. But I, I've spent basically a long, long, long period of time thinking only about writers, mm. because I noticed that there are literary departments for playwrights, that kind of writers groups and development opportunities, and that lead to commissions and that lead to things. And, and there are systems in place. A playwright gets their first play at a small fringe theatre, it gets seen and they get a commission, a, a, a subsidised 
off West End theatre and then that gets seen and they grow and scale, but there's none of that system in place for musical theatre writers or writing in general. Mm-hmm. So so that's where almost all of my energy has been put, writers, caring how, how to create space for writers, how to create respect for their writing and for the form that they're writing in and the process of their writing. And um, my thought has always been that doing so would lead to the highest quality work. And maybe not like just the most, maybe not the most immediately commercially viable or commercially appealing work, but the best work. And that if you get the best people and you nurture them and you care about them and their voice and their writing in the way that we seem to create playwrights in this country who who, who do that, um, I think that we would create the best new musicals. That's That's been my theory, that if we care about the artist and we give them what they ask for and we support what they make, that they will make the best thing. Um, and my thought has then been, if if I can help create a system where artists are making the best things, that eventually someone will see the value of that and either give some space or give some money. And if if that were happening, I think audiences would want to see it too. But those have always been secondary to me. Mm. I feel like I feel like audiences will end up wanting to see these incredible pieces of art if they get made in an uncompromised way. And I think audiences know what they want mm-hmm. from what is available, but they don't know how to know what they want from the things that aren't yet available. And I think we can get stuck in this weird loop where producers only make work for the audiences that already want it and and innovation, you know, and I, it's sort of boring always talking about Hamilton as everybody does, but no one knew that they wanted a three-hour musical about an American founding father based on a 700-page academic biography. Mm-mm. Um what everybody knew was that Lynn was amazing, that his passion was incredible, that his talent was incredible and his ability to turn something unexpected into a musical was brilliant. People supported him for near a decade to the tune of millions of dollars and then audiences did want to come. So I think, I think especially in England, uh, I'm, when I I'm, have been in spaces that are around new plays, People ask the writer, what do you want to say? What do you want to make an audience feel? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And I think so often when I'm in spaces that are supporting musicals in the UK, the question is always, what audience is it for? And I right. sort of have no time for that question. Right, I, I right. think audiences will come and 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 I'm, I'm not a fan of marketing or, or audience development. And maybe, again, to my detriment, but... Um, I think there is enough space for audiences and there is almost no space for writers. But I also think something that you do, though, but you, I know you say that to your detriment. I know that you say that, but I also go, I read I read an article of you and it was in this stage that you say, you know, who's going to find the next Oklahoma? Who's going to find the next, you know, who's going to find these next golden age musicals that are like, you know, the standards of what it is. I mean, you know, I was actually speaking to a friend about this the other day that, you know, Oklahoma is like, it's 80 years old now. It's, we're getting up there. We're getting up there to be 100 years old. So who's going to be making these next big, you know, standards of musical theater? And I think 
you know, you don't do that without taking a bit of risk, don't you? I mean, as you say, you know, everyone knows and loves the Hamilton, but they didn't know they wanted that. I'll tell you right now, if someone would have told me, hey, do you want me to sit you in a three hours, like in a theater that's freezing cold and put you for three hours in a history lesson, I probably would have been like, yeah, man, go pound sand. <laughs> but now I do want that because of the way that they did it. And so I know that you say that to your detriment, but I think what you're doing is actually so special, which is actually, which is part of the reason why I had you on the show is because I'm like, you're, you're doing something that no one else really is so kudos to you for doing that well thank you but it also for me it's just copying other things like like i'm copying copying new right what we do in new writing <laughs> for right. plays mm-hmm. but don't do for new musicals um where you know you let the artists lead on what the conversation is rather than letting the audience um and um i remember I talked about this before, but I don't think on a podcast, but I, this American life, which is like a big, big podcast, well, radio show, I suppose in America, which has, has led to so many stories being told that get optioned to become movies and TV shows and, and, and just, is like a huge idea factory. And I was listening to an interview with the creator of it, Ira Glass and, and, and said, do you have like a wall of audience interests right now so that you're writing stories for the audiences. So it's like, oh, this audience will want this type of story and this audience will want this type of story and this audience. How, how are you making stories that are so immediately taken on by audiences? And he said, I hire a diverse staff and I get them to tell the stories that are keeping them awake at night. Because my sense is stories that are keeping those writers awake at night are going to keep audiences awake at night. For, for either, you know, either... For good entertainment good or for reasons, bad. Or yeah, for scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that term. What keeps you awake at night, and um, and that's where I've kind of been trying to consolidate my thought, which is try and get artists to truly dig into what keeps them awake at night, um, keeps them up at night with excitement, up at up at night with fear, up at night with anything, and and in so doing, I do think it is leading to this like quite strange but interesting and enthralling and beautiful work, and 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 I think. Um, You'll be amazed how rarely musical theatre writers are asked, what do you want to do? Like, even mm-hmm. in a really small scale, one of the conversations I'll often have with with writers is like, I know you're working on that for there and that for there and that for there. But like, if you could just do whatever you wanted and no one would tell you it was a stupid idea, what would you want to say? And I'm telling you, some of the greatest work comes out of that sort of a question because it's so rarely asked to people in musical theatre because the logistics and the the idea of scale and price and cost and, and all of that. And the, the other thing I would say about the reason I'm mostly developing really small work is because it's like, I feel like it's product development. Anyone who talks about product development for new new entrepreneurs, inventors, any of those things, they always talk about the fact that, you know, you have a prototype and then you have like a small batch that you make initially. And then Mm -hmm. you talk about scaling and then you talk about growth and then you talk about like, um, you know, systematizing. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so for me, I think most of my work as a producer is in a, what I would call a prototyping phase. Even the small shows are like, they're shows which hopefully suggest the complexity of the idea or the talent of the writing or the type of music that could be used, but like uh, that can be made relatively. And I, you know, I say relatively, but I mean very inexpensively and like, um, and, and the metaphor I I have used, um, 
I've actually written a book. I, 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 I did know that. I was going to mention it, but, but <laughs> I, I didn't I know the it, title of it. So I was like, no, so I don't know well, if it's unnamed or not. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's recently named. It's going to be called Breaking Into Song, uh, Why You Shouldn't Hate Musicals, um, which I hope people who both think they hate and love musicals might find something enjoyable about it. But one of the chapters in it is called Building Cities Out of Cardboard. And is based on this idea, which is we spend so much time explaining what cities will look like um, and how the buildings will look and function and they'll be tall and glass and, and strong and all of those things. And essentially, I, I use it to describe the fact that I've spent ages trying to build a city out of cardboard, which is right. like lots of cardboard, small, messy right. buildings. But yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's been my intention. And maybe it will always be a cardboard city or maybe someone might look at one of the buildings and go, no, no, let's try that with some glass and some concrete one day. Or maybe, maybe people who are, you know, 20 years from now who are nowhere near me uh, will see some of the things, the systems that have happened and go, yeah, we'll, we'll incorporate them into our building or, or, and maybe not, maybe, maybe for nothing, but like I'm enjoying my cardboard city. Yeah. But you, I mean, you also <laughs> never know unless you try too, right? It's like, you, you know, if, if someone's not taking the first leap of faith, then we're just going to always be stagnant. You know, you might as well just be a tree wa- planted in a city watching this, watching like the world go by at that point. You know what I mean? So I love, mm-hmm. I love that. So I had another question for you because you've obviously, you, you spoke right at the start that, you know, you directed and that's like your main, that was your main point of study. So do you think any of that knowledge translated over to your producing career yeah because I mean I always say that I mean I've, and I also as you said I, I studied medicine so I have a I have like a science background and I really like science and, mm-hmm. and I think musicals are I always call them they're like a stacked form or like vertical form in that there's so many layers and there's mm-hmm. so many, and they're also very machine-like in a way in that I don't mean that in that they lack emotion but I mean many, many moving parts that are all interacting and into in integrating. All the metaphors I ever end up using for for musical theatre are like cooking metaphors or chemistry metaphors or engineering <laughs> or product design. So it's all to do with like an interacting of ingredients or an interacting of different pieces or um so I think directing a musical is is so I think good directors of musicals it, 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 you have to have the ability to kind of conceive multiple different pieces and layers, all of which interact on a moment by moment basis. So it's like you can decide to solve a moment with writing or with movement or with lighting or with set or with acting or with, uh, you know, and all of these multiple things. Yeah. All the exactly. facets that are in your and toolbox. A, right. Yeah. And a, and a really good musical will like not necessarily do all of the same things at the same time, but will do, um, will know how to use each of those different layers of information to achieve the same end goal. So I've always felt that like directing musicals benefited from a scientific worldview in some way, which was that systematizing and that kind of like how, I I remember my first assistant job just was on La Cajo Fall at the Menier Chocolate Factory. And Mm. I, I remember realizing that like comedy and musical theater and the systems of trying to create a unique emotive feeling, a laugh from an audience or a kind of like a a moment of realization from an audience was a bit like engineering. You know, you do that, then that, then that, then that, 
and that will lead to a certain response. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I do do. I was kind of really pleased to 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 notice that, and I think producing is similar in that it's like multiple different layers and interacting pieces and you want to try and get them to all do different things at the same time but that all are leading to the same end result um i think so yeah i think directing musicals and producing musicals are actually quite similar in that they're like big stacked non-linear systems rather than one thing after another and it's funny. I always used to describe, I don't know if this is helpful, but like I always used to describe when I was thinking about a musical, like a deck of cards that had a card on top and the card mm. on top might say set or something. And I'd be right. thinking long and hard about the set and I'd be thinking about the set and I'd be thinking about the set and then I'd, that thought would be done and I would slide that card off and beneath it would be sound or something. And... Someone would say, oh, but you just finished thinking about the other thing. How are you on the next thing? And I would be like, oh, because it was the next deck in, in the pack. And I can't look at all of them at once because my mind would explode. Like if I was looking at every, if <laughs> yeah, all you, of the cards. Overwhelming, right? Yeah. Exactly. So you look at the one that's on top and then you move it and then you look at the next one and it's from a different department and a different thought, but then you move that. And and I find myself sim- in a similar way in, in, in producing, which is that you've got like all of these like madly distinct things that you have to be thinking about. And like, Every so often, I'm sure sure you'll have felt this, you will like get all of the cards in your deck and you will like lay them out over a table and like take a step back and go, okay, that's everything. And now I'm going to put them in order. Yes, the (laughs) order part is the tough part, right? Yeah, exactly. What I can do today and what I can do tomorrow and what I can do next week and what I can do the week after. And, And I find focusing, I focus on one thing at a time but with this like knowledge that I'm holding a deck in my hand, but I'm only ever really looking at the top card. And then when I've handled that, I'll move into the next, maybe not matching thing at all. Right. um, And I think, yeah, I'd, like I said, I've just been in situations before where I've just been like to, to the rest of the team or other colleagues. I've been like, the only thing I'm worried about is music. The only thing I'm worried about is music. The only thing I'm worried about is music. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as that knot is untied, I'll be like, great. What do we do about casting? What do we do about casting? And people sometimes are like, where did that come from? And I was like, they've been there the whole time. Right, yeah. They're like, it's just bubbling under here. Yeah, like it's the exactly. next card. It's it's exactly it. It's figuring out, and, and that's the, the beauty of producing too and, 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 and anything in the arts is that it's, it's all to yourself. It's all how you figure it out for you. Everyone's deck of cards is going to look different and the way that you shuffle them is going to look different and the way that you deal them out is going to look different, you know? Sometimes people will have seven decks going on in their card and it shuffles automatically. Some people have <laughs> one deck, you know what I mean? Like, it's like some people are in Vegas I guess some people are sitting at home like gambling in, in their backyard and that's okay and that's totally good that's what we want we want a variety of work and and um I guess what I'm saying here is that you know it's everyone does it differently and 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 that process is process and no one should be judged with the way that they do things either I think I completely agree there's there's I, I think I remember with directing one of the things I remember thinking when I first started was I would have an idea in my head about what I wanted or what I I wanted the room to do. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a dictatorial or authorial way, but like no. I remember thinking uh, dictatorial, but I, I just remember thinking, oh, we could tell the story with this sort of texture and, and s- selection of ideas. And, but you've got a room of people in front of you. And I think actually the hardest thing about directing isn't 
having the idea, it's about executing the idea and, and getting a group of people to kind of collaborate and make the idea happen in new and interesting ways that you hadn't considered. Um, and um, I remember thinking, I haven't actually, I don't think I've got that much better at having ideas since I was 21, but I do think I've got better at making a room um, kind of create and generate and interact with those ideas and communicate right. and uh, communicate effectively. And I think my observation of producing is similar in, in that you, you can have the idea, but you do get better at kind of creating the logistical frameworks and patterns that that kind of hold hold the ideas together. Uh, I um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's it. And 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 I think there's no right order and right way of doing something because it is non-linear and musicals are non-linear and they're much more like a kind of. I think a table is, you know what you said about like, oh, if there's no seat at the table, you make your own. Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel, I feel like the, all of the processes that I've, I've done recently and the collaborations I've done feel like tables of, of people who are aiming what they're talking about to the middle, you know, the middle yeah, of the table is the thing right. and, and, and it's a round table and everyone can like put into the middle and observe it from the middle. But, you know, three dimensionally, I'm going to have a different view of, of what's in the middle of the table than someone who's sitting on the other side of it. This kind of quite overstrained metaphor. Sorry. No, but it makes <laughs> sense. It makes sense. Be sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. I'm yeah, no, not at all. I think it's, it's just that feeling of kind of, it's not about where you're standing. It's about putting into the middle of a table and obviously if you're the producer and uh, or even producer and the director you're there first and you're there maybe you're, you're bringing people to that table with some bits of cardboard and and toilet roll and you know already yeah, you in the middle of out. the table That's right. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but if you're bringing people to it you've got to have they've got to kind of interact with that the rules of that table um to make what's what's in it but it's 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 really there's nothing I love better than a than than a the relationship between a creative team and I would also say find people that you know care about their department more than you care about their department which isn't to, I care about everything a lot yes. but like there is nothing like the profound relaxation from knowing from knowing that the person in a department chair cares more about what they're doing than you could care about it for them, because then you can just let them go. That's right. And, and you know, yeah, cool. I'll see you at that point. And I know that you'll have brought it back and you don't have to do these things that we always worry about, the micromanagement, the check-ins, how's it going? I'm, I'm worried. I'm anxious. I, I, like, are you going to head to the point? I know you're going to head to, I think it's such um finding people who care as much or more than you and just trusting them has been and building again, the system into which they fit so that you aren't 
they aren't fitting into you. You and them are both fitting into this shared system. That's system. That's <laughs> correct. No, no, that's totally, I 100% agree with you. And you know what's so funny is a friend and I were recently speaking about this, that, you know, him and I were speaking and we're like, man, we're both like nerdy about this subject. Like we're both nerdy about what we want to do. And he was like, man, that's like who you want to be involved with. You want to be involved with people who are so obsessed and over obsessed with the subject that they can't not be thinking about that. And that's the type of energy that you want putting onto the table. You know what I mean? Like throw in the loo roll, throw in whatever, throw in a dirty towel. I don't care. We'll make it work. And it's it's that type of energy and that ty- those type of people that you want bringing their own flavor. You know what I mean? Their own flavor to the project. So I want to play a game called Radio Play where we get to know you, Adam Lenson, the person, rather than you, Adam Lenson, the producer. Sound good? Sounds good to me. This is Radio Play. What time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, about 9 a.m. normally. Favorite lyric from a music theater song? Uh, probably a common one. I chose my world was shaken, so what? The choice may have been mistaken. The choosing was not. I but have to I would, move on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I would also, I would also think I constantly think about this one from Roadshow, which is uh, some go up the, some may not work out. Some go up the spout. Plenty more around the corner, and what's waiting around the corner isn't that what life is all about? I think about that a lot. Man, that is, that is, uh, yeah, that's really deep, man. That's a lot. For 6 a.m., I'm literally like, my, the windows are shattering. I'm, I'm like Wanda and like everything's going. Okay. Um, your current favorite song? Oof. Um, I think it just has to, and it will always be something different from the band's visit, probably forever. Yeah, I agree. It's so, it's so beautiful. That's such a great show. Ideal Friday night? Um, uh, ideal Friday night would probably be drinks with good friends in in a kind of nice but quiet bar. I agree. You want to be able to hear people. None of this music. Yeah, I can't please. stand it. It's too much. Mucho. Okay. Uh, should award shows exist? Um. Yes. Uh, yes, but I I think we should uh, make sure that the people who pick the awards are more diverse <laughs> and from a range of different disciplines and not just promoters, essentially. I agree. Cats or dogs? Dogs. What was the last gift you gave someone? Uh, a candle. Uh, what advice would you give your previous boss? Um... Uh, disagreement isn't, disagreement shouldn't necessarily be coded as anger. Ooh, love that. <laughs> How many windows do you think exist in New York City? Ooh, 75,000. <laughs> <laughs> what does a person need to be happy? Um, people to care for and who care about them. What are you scared of? Uh, dying. <laughs> What's the way? Yeah, me too. I mean, that's why my literally that's why my Twitter is uh, what Curtis did underscore because then if I die, people will be able to read what I did. It'll be like, Absolutely. what did Curtis do? Yeah, I'm so morbid. <laughs> anyway, and look at that. We have a lot in common. Okay, uh, uh, if you could compare yourself to an animal, what would it be? Um, ooh, I, I t- uh, uh, an owl maybe I mean maybe I'm not I'm, that's, I, I'm noisier than an owl but like I like sitting on a high branch and like looking over things uh, you find a million dollars in a backpack do you turn it in or keep it I'd probably turn it in. I remember once I like didn't get charged for something at a shop in America and I like went back and said, how oh, you didn't charge me for, for this 
piece of clothing and they were like, are you kidding? This is America. If you get an opportunity like that, you walk out and you take it. And like the shop has a budget for when that happens. And I was like, oh, I couldn't and I couldn't enjoy that that sweater knowing I hadn't paid for it. So, yeah. Uh, who is a role model? Uh, who is your role model as a child? Ooh, as a child. I don't I don't know if I've got a good answer for that one. Um, as a child. I don't know. Like I was pretty obsessed with like no I mean I, I was obsessed with Saved by the Bell I used to watch the repeats of Saved by the Bell but I don't think I'm anything like Zach Morris but um, but, but, but <laughs> everyone, everyone wanted to be that blonde good looking guy didn't but I, I just remember thinking that's what I hope high school is like it wasn't but it yeah. was, no it's, it's literally not like that Actually, whatsoever I've got another answer which is I was incredibly obsessed with Ghostbusters and Egon from Ghostbusters is probably a much more uh, like like likely turnout for me the science science nerd the um, science guy yeah 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 there you and go in okay. fact i have like a picture of me from like when i was five wearing like a ghostbusters uniform for halloween so if you had to choose be able to fly or be invincible or invisible sorry invincible and invisible are two different words apologies uh invisible. no fly probably Ooh, fly. yeah i think so for do for me <laughs> uh, most famous person you've met uh steven sondheim Oh, I'm so jealous. I've had a few people say that, and I just am always, like, filled with jealousy. Okay, and uh, do aliens exist? Yes, probably. Do ghosts, do ghosts exist? No, I'd lean towards. If you could commission any artist, living or dead, to create a piece of art for you, who would you choose? If I could commission any artist, living or dead, um... I mean, the open goal answer that I should probably give is is I would uh, I'd pick a British composer to write write a new musical, that, um, or a UK based composer, I should say. But I um, I don't I wouldn't want to say who on this, but that's really what that's I would okay. <laughs> is I would I I like. I know that the easy answer is like, oh, commission something by someone really, you know, famous. And there are loads of people I admire. And wouldn't it be cool to commission a Sunday musical that I could produce the world premiere of? But I think I would always spend any money or opportunity I had on new writing if I could. I love that. And the last <laughs> question here is, do you believe in love at first sight? Uh, yes. Wonderful. That's Radio Play. Um, yeah, I love I love those answers. Also, so interesting. Believe in aliens, but not, but also maybe not in ghosts. Yeah, because I'm. I think I, I, from a science perspective, I think. Oh yeah, uh, I always forget you're like really heavily <laughs> into science. So I yeah, like, I know it's funny. People always assume that I would like really like I really should like fantasy because I'm a big nerd. But actually, I really <laughs> much prefer things that have some sort of science framework, and I don't love magical realist frameworks as much. So for okay, me, okay, so there you go. So do you like so, Interstellar? I do like Interstellar, although it falls apart in the fifth act. But we know yeah. that. <laughs> like, you're like Curtis, but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> and a whole is. other bottle of wine. And I would I'm like, love that. I, mean, I would love to sit across <laughs> and Zoom with you and share a bottle of wine. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, great, man. I love those answers. That's such a fun game. Um, so you've produced a lot of online musicals with Public Domain, Shift Alt-Right, The Fabulous uh, Fox Sister, Musical Lie. So, I mean, for our listeners, I'm not talking like 
people like Adam standing in front of like a, por- a family portrait or Disney plate singing a song. Like it's a full production. Like if you see Adam behind the scenes on Shift Alt Right online, he looks like he looks like the alien from uh, what's it called, uh, Men in Black Two. Not physically, he just has got a million arms moving like at all different times. It's insane. I highly recommend you go look. <laughs> so one, how the hell did you learn to do all that? And two, like how did you start producing that stuff? Is that just like you're like, wait, we're in a pandemic, like time to like change the leg or add another leg to the table like like well, what's that situation yeah i i mean i've always been i've i've always known how to use computers and i've always been like enjoyed adding skills software skills as i needed them i remember the first piece of software i remember needing as a director was QLab, which is a sound queuing software. And I learned how to use it because I was doing a lot of readings, which was just me. The only budget was for me and some actors. And I got, you know, sometimes you want music and underscore and you want the sound of a phone ringing rather than having to someone say a phone rings and, and you don't have the resource. So I remember teaching myself how to use that. And, um, and then if you need to use that, you learn how to use you know, a, a digital workstation like GarageBand or Logic or in order to like, oh, what, if I can make the sound sound different, how do I do it? I can add filters and stuff. And then I produced a podcast. And so I learned how to use, uh, I actually made all of that using Adobe Audition because that came with Creative Suite. But then, you know, you need to make a logo for it. So you learn yeah, how to use Photoshop. That. And I think most producers, right, they're, 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 knowing how to do a little bit of everything. Obviously, I can I can graphic design in Photoshop. If if I really need if I really need something quickly, I can design it myself. If I need it I'm good at a lot of things, I'm not great at most things. So like if I need if 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 I want an expert in something, I will still normally reach out, but in terms of speed of execution, sometimes it is good to have some knowledge yourself. So and over a period of years, I just learned how to use more software. I like, if, you know, like when you meet instrumentalists and they're like, oh, I, you know, play the guitar. But this year I decided to pick up the bass as well. That, right. Sort it's, of, you know, that, that type. Yeah, it's, it's all the same type of thing. And you slowly start to learn and it all builds and layers on. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say that I sort of began 2020 knowing how to use most of Adobe Creative Suite, most like sound editing, video editing, uh, basics and QLab and, and some live show control stuff. And then... Yeah, it all started because we were meant to do a signal in March 2020 that got mm-hmm. cancelled. And we were like, well, what would it be like to try and do a live multi-location online concert remotely? And so we, you know, went onto Reddit and the forums and, and looked at what other people were doing. And it turned out that the majority of people were using a piece of software called OBS, which mm. you've probably come across, which is free live streaming broadcasting software, open broadcasting software. And I downloaded it and it's free and it bears some resemblance to other software and um, you, I learned how to use it. And what I would say is you decide, I always say the same thing about digital theater to people. You don't learn the software. What you do is you conceive the idea and how you want it to work creatively. And then you 
find how to do that using the software. So it's more content dictating form, right? I want to do a multi-location concert where people can come in live from different locations, but I want them all in one broadcast. You then find the software and then you start Googling, how do I do multi-location in OBS? And then people, there are forums and gradually you you, you learn and you plug stuff into it. And one, one signal in particular, we decided we wanted to make sure that the chat room could overlay on top of my links when, when I'm talking about people. because So we could know that the audience were there live and that there yes. was that feeling. I've, I've seen that actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we you know, we looked up, how do you get a YouTube chat and overlay it on OBS? And someone had invented a code plugin and we pasted it in and, and it worked. <laughs> like wow, lots of things yeah, don't yeah. work. But so the order of events was, I won't waffle too much, but the order of events was we did six months of concerts every two weeks. And that meant by the end of that time, we were like, pretty decent i had just managed that was my new job at that point right. was like digital concerts where people were remote i remember thinking god it's it's fine bringing people in with their webcam and with their but wouldn't it be slightly easier if we were all in a room together covid safe obviously and right. then so um so yeah we we uh, me and christian chorney who 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 works with me on a lot of of my projects we got we got some cameras and a vision mixer and a, some sound kit but it all plugs into obs still it's just like instead of a webcam it's a it's a it's a good, real good, big real camera. camera yeah and then like <laughs> instead of you know instead of clicking to switch between camera one two three and four you press a switcher which brings them in over hdmi and right it actually has sort of been this kind of creep, this skill set creep. I never sat out and was like, I'm going to learn all the things this month. And I think actually that's a, a good way for any producer to be, right, is to just kind of go, what is my point of concentration? And you see it all the time. People, people go, I want to get better at making great budgets. And I'm just going to spend this couple of weeks just thinking about spreadsheets and formulae and speak to people about that. And then it maybe go, oh, I want to know how to create different you see this all the time. People have an image that a graphic designer made for them, but they need to create buttons, you know, different right. sized. Oh, you know, you need this size for Watson stage, this size for the stage. You need 320 pixels by 200 pixels for, for stream.theater. You need, and that's actually quite a simple job and just requires like, yeah. People just don't seek out to go look it up, do they? Yeah. A lot of people so, are just like, well, it's easier if I just reach out to someone and they can do it for me. Yeah, but I know not much money and, and, and I have more time than money. Um, mm-hmm. So so I've often found that like when it comes to those sorts of jobs, I will teach myself them and rather than, and also the good thing about teaching yourself them, even if you don't keep doing it, is then you'll know next time what it actually involves. So, so it's been a kind of accumulating thing and I really love it, you know. I really... It probably, it didn't come up in our like quick quiz, but it just as well could have. You know, I as a teenager, I was really into films and video games and comic books, like all of the good yeah. stuff. And I was really into tech and I studied science and quite how it took me 20 years to really find a way of integrating technology back into my theatrical process. It feels like a, a, a really stupid, actually. I, I feel like slight regret that I, it, it took a pandemic for me to realize how much I love tech and... Never when I was in tech, I would always, like when I was in tech as a director or producer, I would always look at the lighting desk or the sound kit and go, I, I'm interested in what's happening there. But it always felt like those things were feeding into a piece of in-person theatre. Right. Whereas now tech integration and 
is the whole game. It's the whole, it's whole the future. Game. It's yeah. what everything is. I mean, they make total sets out of that stuff now, right? Like, I mean, you look at Dearman Hansen, the whole thing is just like a bunch of screens, isn't it? Exactly. And, and I think, you know, something like Public Domain, which is probably the most advanced, w- was like, I cannot really, it, it was seven programs glued together. Majority of the work for Public Domain was done in QLab, which is, as I said, I learned how to use 10 years ago and, and um, for a completely different reason. And um, it's been really, no, it's really good. It's really, I, I would I would always say that, that anybody can decide to, to learn a skill each week if they're bored because, and, you know, and I know that sometimes being bored and, and having the space to do that stuff is a privilege that, 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 that is related to, you know, having space and time and, and a computer that can do it on. But right. I would say those of you who, who find yourself with that time, the internet has got more tutorials than you could ever need to learn basically <laughs> anything. Yes, exactly. Um, and just like what you said about shuffling the deck with producing, like you can decide how you put those pieces together to make them unique. Like even the same set of skills will. Um, but yeah, and I, I love, I love. You know, I've, I've gone on record saying this before, but I really love live digital theatre. There is something really special and collaborative and and risky about it. Mm-hmm. And having to do an entire show from beginning to end and execute it all correctly or not correctly, but I have to execute it all is exactly yes. what we're used to doing with theater. And as soon as you start doing multiple takes and editing and, and preparing and, and stitching together different takes, I just I don't recognize that as theater anymore. So right. I've, I've been trying to avoid that where possible. Wow. I love that. That's such an interesting answer. Also, you totally are the guy on Wall Street bets that like screwed up the stock market. That was you. That was Adam. Oh yeah, like no, GameStop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Adam, everyone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So our I final wish. question. Yeah, I know. Me too. Are you kidding? Um, my final question to you is, you know, we've talked a lot about the hard work and, you know, building the table, et cetera, et cetera. My question to you is, do you think producers are credited enough? Um, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my sense is that, that what you've made me think about is some, something that someone once said to me, which is that, um, new writing, new plays are a writer's medium. Revivals of plays are a director's medium and that musical theater is a producer's medium. And I think and I think it leads me to think that actually that the producers are credited too much in musical theatre. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 not it's it's the it's the producer that's above the title, and it's the producer that kind of like, like is the name on a lot of musicals rather than the writer sometimes. And I think often um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say it, but I, yes. you know, it's mad when you have to see Andrew Lloyd Webber's Wizard of Oz and you kind of go, no, you know, that's that, that there's some new songs for a musical does not mean that it is yours or and and I think that level of risk and scale leads to a level of possessiveness where it's like more people would know that Cameron McIntosh produced Miss Saigon than, than the names of the, the creative team who made it. Right. Um, because that's the way that the branding has worked for this sort of mega musical. And, and I think, sure, I have to promote myself. I have to like talk about myself, but I, I think in an ideal world, I wouldn't. 
as mm-hmm. much. And I actually want to go back to something, which is that Signal ran for two years before I set up my production company, ALP Musicals, Adam Lenson right. Productions. And I hosted it, but I but none of my hosting was ever recorded. And the videos that got released were just the composers and their songs, the writers and their songs. Right. And Signal itself was called Signal, and my name was not on it very prominently. Uh, and that was kind of what I dreamt of. I kind of dreamt of like a collaborative system where the, the signal, you know, signal to noise ratio, where the signal emerges from the noise. But what I kept noticing was people would see things at signal and start talking to the writers and would never thank me um, or would make a relationship that I would hear about a year later and never tell me that signal was the cause of it, the instigator of it, the instigator right. of it. And I remember just thinking to myself, I like that I am creating systems that lead to people having opportunities that I don't even have to be involved in. Like that is a dream for me, right? That, that I, I want so many good things to happen from the from the work I produce that I cannot be involved in all of it. I want mm. things to get commissioned and picked up and supported and benefit from the system. But I remember just thinking it was small enough and that I was small enough that I was disappointed that people didn't feel able to like say thank you. And I remember a one quite prominent London subsidized theater picked up some writers from Signal. And I heard about it like a year after the fact. And I then wrote to the literary person there and I went, you're paid to be a literary person and I am not. Um, it would have been so nice of you to like say you'd been watching Signal and to say anything to me, but they yeah. hadn't. Right. And so actually the main reason why I put my name more prominently uh, on my company and on the events I do is just because it gives people an opportunity and uh, this sounds self-centering, but I don't mean it to. It just means people know where things came from, where the energy came from, so that they have two opportunities to either like return some energy to an energy that I gave or to say thank you for some energy uh, that I gave. Because most of the time I'm not earning any money for this really most of the time i'm putting in a lot more energy than i'm getting back certainly and it just became noticeable that i did have to define put put often you'll see in america you'll see like on the broadway production of a show you'll say originally workshopped at this theater with support from this venue with this Mm -hmm. and i do think it is free to name names it's free it doesn't cost cost any like it doesn't cost anything and and people who have watched signal will know i'm constantly shouting out oh i met this person here i'm i know this person thanks to this i i I heard this because of this amazing initiative or and I, i do think there is too little naming of of the people that help because i do think people love immaculate conceptions as i call them which is just things that are just birthed perfect from one person (laughs) And theatre is not an immaculate conception. It is a village and and a bonfire, a table of effort from many, many interconnected people. And I just think it's important that we start getting good at, if we're building a system, we should just get good at naming the pieces and talking about the workflow of of that system. And, And I think, yeah, as I say, there are times at which I felt very uncomfortable about the level of self promotion that has crept into my project but but i have to say for for me it is and i mean this unambiguously for me this should be about writers and creating more favorable situations and systems for them to be able to write the type of shows they want and the good ones should have have opportunities going forward 
Um, I know uh, that's a really long answer, but <laughs> no, it's it's the right answer. And you want to know something? It's the perfect way to end the show. Seriously, Adam, I I can't thank you enough. You're so insightful. Thanks, you're so honest. You're humble, man. Like you're just the guy. You're, you're you're the future. You're creating the future. And what you're doing is what you're doing is the Lord's work. I mean, I know I don't like to use that because it's like you know everyone religion and whatever. But it's like that's the you know there's a high. What you're doing is. Is, is, is you're putting people forward and you're raising them on a pedestal and you're the one also building that pedestal. And seriously, people can't thank you enough. So keep Signal going, keep everything going. Seriously, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing, sharing all your insights. Thanks, Kessa. That, that means so much. And, and it's been such a pleasure talking to you and thank you for your enthusiasm. It really means a lot. Perfect. We'll speak to you soon. This has been a Brown Stuff production. <laughs>